Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. The title of my message today is How to Trust God in a Crisis. And if you recall, uh, two weeks ago I gave a message on Jacob. And you remember Jacob saw a coat that had blood on it. And his sons lied to him and told him his son was dead, that wild animals had eaten Joseph. And what did Jacob do? He believed the report. And because Jacob believed the lie, for the next 22 years, I showed you through the scripture how miserable, how sad, how despairing, how grief-stricken Jacob was. I mean, he even talked to going down to the grave in grief. Okay. Then I brought you a story with a modern-day missionary, uh, David and Sevilla Flood. And uh, if you recall, they went to Zaire, the former Belgian Congo, and they were ministering there. And David's wife got pregnant. She has a baby, a little girl. And then uh, 17 days later, uh, David's wife, Sevilla, dies. Okay, so he gets upset with God. Okay, he chooses to believe that God is not good. God is evil. God is harming him. And for about the rest of his life, he became an alcoholic. Uh, he was bitter. He wanted nothing to do with God whatsoever. And the whole point of uh, the message two weeks ago was God is so faithful. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And we saw how God restored Jacob at the very end with Joseph. God restored his ministry. God restored his mind. And Jacob had the victory and ended up dying in peace. And I'll also show you, God did the same thing with David Flood. Um, his daughter came to him at the very end and found him in Sweden, got reconciled to him. She led him back to the Lord. And a couple weeks later, he died in peace. So the whole point was God is so faithful. That was the point. But why suffer through all that misery if we don't have to? So why not make the correct response when a crisis hits instead of saying, well, God's going to be faithful even if I mess up. Well, it's true. He is going to be. But is there a godly way to respond to crisis situations? And the answer, of course, is yes. So what we're going to do today is we're going to continue that message. How do you respond when you're in a crisis. Now, this is my definition of crisis. Anytime a situation or circumstance does not go your way, it's a crisis. I mean, do you, am I the only one that is in crisis situations on a day-to-day -day basis? Okay. You run out of gas. Honestly, it's a crisis because you're late for work and you know you're going to get reprimanded. That's a crisis. Uh, fighting going on in your household, doesn't that turn into a crisis or could be a crisis situation? Okay, um, those are minor crisis situations. There are major crisis situations. Jacob was in a major crisis. Uh, you may have an illness or the loss of a loved one. That would be a major crisis. Doesn't matter what kind of crisis it is. When a crisis hits you, how should you, how should I respond? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to look at Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah is a role model of how to respond in a crisis situation. So 
Uh, before I tell you about that, let me give you the background of Hezekiah. Um, have to kind of go back to Solomon. Remember, Solomon was king. He dies. His son, Rehoboam, became the king. And there were some problems there. Rehoboam didn't follow God. And uh, the kingdom was split in two. Okay, so there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. The capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem. Okay, so the northern kingdom had its own kings. The southern kingdom had its own kings. So there was not unity between the two kingdoms. In fact, there was friction and fighting for hundreds of years. Um, now, in general, the kings of the north did not follow God like God wanted them to. Um, and they were more evil and wicked in general than the kings of the south. All right, so for hundreds of years, this is going on. These kings of the north, um, they would engage in idolatry. They would forsake God and his commandments. They weren't doing what the sacrifices that God wanted them to do. Okay, and this is going on and on and on. There were some good kings in the north, but by and large, they weren't walking with God. Then it comes up to Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked king in the north. Now, during this time period, God raises up prophets and sends them to the kings in the north and says, Hey, guys, you're, God's not into this idolatry stuff. Uh, you're, not do, you're not celebrating the Passover. You're not doing what God has told you to do. And if you don't change and repent, God's going to do what he told Moses in Deuteronomy, which was, if you continue in this, God's going to raise up an army. That army is going to come and wipe you out and dispossess you from the land, take you into exile, and you'll be gone. That's what God said he'll do. So sure enough, that's exactly what God does. Hezekiah was evil. He didn't repent. Hezekiah was the king right before, I'm sorry, Ahaz was the king right before Hezekiah. Okay, so Ahaz is wicked. So around 745 B.C., God raises up, and the scripture says, God raises up the army of the Assyrians. Okay, the Assyrians then become a world power. They were the dominant world power. They begin to march towards the land of Canaan, and they are destroying everyone and everything in their path. About 745 B.C., they begin to come down from the north into the land of Canaan. So they're just taking Syria, they take Damascus, they take Syria, they take uh, Galilee, they take all these towns, and all the northern tribes, they begin to wipe them out, just like God said they would. Finally, uh, that goes on from 745 to about 732 B.C. It's during that time that Hezekiah becomes king. In 729, Hezekiah becomes king in the south in Judah. Okay, so Hezekiah's kingdom is marked by this world power wreaking havoc in the north. So in 725 B.C., only a couple years after Hezekiah is king, um, Sennacherib, who's the Assyrian king, marches on Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom. And he lays siege to it for three years, and after three years, in 722 B.C., Samaria falls. All the northern tribes are either destroyed or they're taken away captive and dispossessed, exactly like God said would happen in Deuteronomy. Hezekiah's king... I don't know if you realize, Jerusalem is not very far below Samaria. Okay, so you got this superpower a few miles north of you, and now you're, that's Hezekiah's kingdom. Okay, you got a picture of the times? 
All right, so now let's take a look. What is Hezekiah like personally? Let's take a look in chapter 18. What does the Bible say about Hezekiah? Verse 5 and 6. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. That's a powerful statement. There were none like him before him. Who was before him? David. That's a pretty amazing statement about Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is a godly king. Hezekiah, when he became the king, they would worship on these hills and mountains. They would set up these poles like the pagans, and they would have, uh, they were worshiping idols. So when Hezekiah comes in, he just purges the land of all this evil. He tears down the high places. He tears down the Asherah poles. He gets rid of the idolatry, gets rid of temple prostitution. He begins to reinstitute the proper temple worship that God wanted. He brings back the sacrifices, uh, the burnt offering, the sin offering. He has them practice the Passover again. Um, he brings the singers. He brings the musicians back. I mean, Hezekiah goes for it. He just brings righteousness back to the land of Judah. It's awesome. So Hezekiah is prospering under God, but he's living under the shadow of the evil Assyrian Empire. Okay? So Hezekiah now is about to face the crisis of his entire life, probably the biggest crisis of his life. And that's what we want to take a look at. Uh, the Assyrians now, they've wiped out the northern tribes. And by the way, let me just give you a little history on the Assyrians. The Assyrians were uh, ruthless. When they defeated an enemy, they would impale their victims and set them on display for everyone to see in case you got any ideas against fighting against Sennacherib. And then they would chop their heads off and put them in great heaps. So again, it's psychological warfare. You're not going to mess with these people. And uh, some of them they would skin alive. I mean, they were, there was no such thing as humanitarian with the Assyrian king. So that is right to the north of Hezekiah. Okay, so Sennacherib then becomes, he comes down to the south and starts taking some towns in Judah. Okay, he hadn't, taken, he hadn't come against Jerusalem yet. Uh, in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, it says that Sennacherib marches on the cities of Judah, and the fortified cities, and begins to take them one after another. Boom, boom, boom. So he's taken the northern tribes. Now he's taken all, this, all the tribes of Judah. He's taken them. So Hezekiah is kind of holed up in the fortress of Jerusalem. So uh, Sennacherib sends his army to come now, and he's marching on Jerusalem. This happened in 701 B.C. approximately. And he sent his generals up there, and one of them was called Rabshakeh. Okay? So this is where Hezekiah's crisis comes in, and this is where we're going to study his response to the crisis. Okay, you got the picture? I'm going to read you. It's not on the uh, PowerPoint, but I want to read you uh, what the Rabshakeh says he's standing outside the walls. He's yelling up so the people can hear. And he wants Hezekiah to get a message. 
He's a master at psychological terror and warfare. What he really wants to do is have Hezekiah surrender. He doesn't want to waste his time with a two or three year siege because Jerusalem is pretty well fortified. All right, so he's going to try to terrorize Hezekiah into surrendering. So if you have a Bible, I'm in chapter 18. This is not on the PowerPoint. Uh, first of all, he's going to attack any help that Hezekiah may want to seek. He says this in 1821. Now behold, you rely on that staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, of which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. Hezekiah, Egypt's nothing before me. Why are you going to rely on Egypt? You're a fool. Okay, now he... So he's, 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 he's just psychologically going to try to inflict as much fear as possible. Verse 22. Now he's going to attack. He's going to get the people to see if they'll, he can turn them against Hezekiah because of the worship. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and also has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? What Rabshakeh is saying is, hey guys, hey people, Hezekiah has taken away all your worship places. All the high places where he used to go, Hezekiah has taken them away. God's not going to hear you. You can't trust Hezekiah. Little did Rabshakeh know what Hezekiah did was good by tearing down those high places and keeping the people from worshiping there. He didn't even know that. But he, he thought he was trying to uh, turn the people against Hezekiah. Then he goes on to mock Hezekiah's army in verse uh, 23. He says, Now therefore come, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able to put riders on them. You guys are a bunch of wimps, is what he's saying. And he goes, I mean, you can read, he goes on and on and on. I'm not going to read everything he says. And he gets pretty graphic and pretty gross if you keep reading. Um, so Rabshakeh is, is waging this psychological terror campaign to see if Hezekiah will surrender. So the servants, they come back to Hezekiah and they say, hey, they say, this is what this guy says. All right, so Hezekiah now hears a real threat. How is he going to respond? That's what we want to find out. Let's take a look. Chapter 19, verse 1. And when Hezekiah... When King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, with Shebna the scribe, and the elders and the priests, covered with sackcloth. He sends him to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And in the end of verse 4, which you don't have, he says, Therefore offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. Okay. Response time. Jacob sees a coat covered with blood. Conclusion, my son is dead. Hezekiah sees an army outside the walls of Jerusalem, sees their general yelling things at him. What's he going to do? Is he going to jump to a conclusion? No. It said he went to the house of the Lord and he sent for Isaiah and asked Isaiah to pray. He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth. What did he really do? He humbled himself. That's a picture of humbling yourself. Okay, so he humbled himself 
And he didn't jump to conclusions. Jacob, if I might say, didn't humble himself, but he did jump to a conclusion. My son is dead. You guys seeing the difference here? I'm trying to make a comparison. Hezekiah could have said, you know what, man? He's taken all the northern tribes. I saw it. They're gone. He's taken all the other cities of Judah. I saw it. They're gone. He's outside of Jerusalem. All he's got to do is wait a few years. We'll starve to death. We'll surrender. We might as well just give up now. Did he say that? No. He humbled himself. He went into the house of the Lord. Principle number one. When you're faced with a crisis, humble yourself and don't jump to conclusions. Don't jump to conclusions. Um, I was thinking God has really taught me a lot of neat things this week with this message. Uh, There was a situation this week where I didn't humble myself. And he showed me that when you jump to a conclusion, sometimes it's pride. Because who knows best? Does Father know best? When you jump to a conclusion, you know best, right? So when situation hits you and you say, oh, this is exactly what's going to happen, well, who are you you to say this is going to happen? Right? That would be pride. So this week, let me illustrate it with you. Um, We are trying to clean out uh, an office and make it into a bedroom. And uh, we're having a a student come from China. We're going to be a host family this year. And uh, he's here today, and we're proud to have a a new son. We're going to treat him like a son. Uh, Make sure you say hi to him. His name is George. He's back there with Debbie. I don't mean to embarrass him. Um, He's a really neat guy. So anyway, he, I was going to pick him up at the airport um, the next day. So we're trying to get this bedroom ready for him, and I've got to completely take out an office out of this bedroom. Well, where's the stuff going to go? Well, you've got to put it somewhere. So Debbie uh, said, well, we need to clear out this closet and this room and this closet and this room and this, this closet because we've got to clean these closets out before you can put stuff in there, right? The next thing you know, the entire house is in disarray. I'm like, that's a weakness of mine, okay? I like to be in control. I like things nice and neat. Okay, so this is a hard crisis for me to be in. <laughs> I'm, I'm in serious crisis mode, Okay. It's sad to say I did not pass this crisis test, okay? (laughs) I did not humble myself. I jumped to the conclusion that there's no way in the world that this is going to be clean by the time I go and get him at the airport. There's no way in the world. It ain't going to happen. She's got to work tomorrow. I've got to work tomorrow. I've got to go to Roanoke to pick him up. You can forget it. So what happens when you jump to conclusions? Well, what happened to Jacob? My son is dead. He wanted to literally go down to the grave in his misery. Well, I was starting to wallow in my misery. I started to get upset. Of course, I take it out on Debbie, which wasn't good, so I had to ask her for forgiveness later on. (laughs) She graciously forgave me (laughs) in my crisis moment. Um, But do you see my pride? I knew what was best. It isn't going to get cleaned up. I knew. I didn't know. Next morning, um, wake up. She gets a call uh, from her employer saying, hey, you don't need to come in today. Like, oh, okay. Well, she's got all day to clean the house. Okay. 
I mean, I, I was helping her too until I had to go to work. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe, okay, maybe. And then uh, she gets a call later on in the afternoon, and one of her friends says, hey, well, I'll come over and help you clean up. And so I go to the airport, and I'm there a while. We're waiting. There was a delay in the flight. And I get home at 1 a.m. come home. Everything is just immaculate, put away. There are a few scattered piles that had to go out of the house that were, and I just, okay, God. <laughs> I get it now. I blew it. Forgive me. <laughs> I repent. And... But do you see how critical it is not to jump to conclusions in your pride? Now, sometimes you can jump to conclusions in ignorance, and even you might say Jacob was deceived, so that's why he jumped to conclusions. I don't know if Jacob was in pride when he jumped to conclusion. I do know that I was in pride when I jumped to my conclusion. And so God is teaching me that you really have to be careful when a situation comes your way, how you, what you choose to believe in that next moment, you'll either be humbling yourself or you'll be possibly in pride and you'll set the stage that you don't want to go down that road. Okay, so let's see what happens now. Hezekiah, fortunately he was a godly example. Let's see, what did God do when Hezekiah humbled himself? Okay, let's take a look at uh, 19, 6 and 7. Well, God speaks to good old faithful Isaiah and tells Isaiah, hey, tell Hezekiah this. Verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid, because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Isn't that awesome? Now, if you're Hezekiah, you're a happy camper, because the superpower is threatening you at your door. And you know there's no way militarily you can stand up to it. And Hezekiah says, hey, don't worry about it. God's got it under control. Yes, crisis averted. Right? Principle number one, humble yourself and don't jump to conclusions. But how many of you know when you get that victory and you actually do it and you walk in victory and you're all happy and God is blessing you that... Sometimes crisis comes back knocking at your door, right? So I'm not sure exactly what happened. It doesn't say in the scripture. I don't know if Hezekiah sent word to Rabshakeh standing outside and said, you know, take a hike, buddy. Or if uh, he didn't give him the time of day. He just ignored him. It doesn't say. Well, anyway, Hezekiah doesn't surrender. He believes the report from Isaiah. So Rabshakeh goes um, south where his other army was stationed, where Sennacherib was stationed at Lachish. And Lachish is not far from Jerusalem. It's southwest from Jerusalem. So he goes down there, and uh, Sennacherib and their, their big forces down there. And all of a sudden, Sennacherib gets a report from the south. Egypt is, is starting to advance and is going to attack Assyria. Okay, so Sennacherib's like, oh, man, it's going to take us a couple years to take Jerusalem because it's fortified. We've got to lay this big siege against it. Let's try. I've got to deal with Egypt. I tell you what, Rabshakeh, go back. Take the army back. Let's try threatening him again, and maybe he'll surrender again. I mean, 
I'm Sennacherib. Everyone submits to me. I've wiped out everyone. Who is this guy anyway? Now get up there and threaten this guy into surrender. All right, so Hezekiah doesn't know, but uh, round two is about to come. And uh, let's see what happens. There's actually a letter that we can read that Sennacherib sends to Hezekiah. And let's take a look at it. Um, in chapter 19. Let's look at uh, Rabshakeh's words here in 14. Then Hezekiah took the letter. I'm sorry, let's start with verse 11 in uh, 2 Kings 19. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Okay, this is Sennacherib's letter to Hezekiah. Did the gods of those nations which my fathers destroyed deliver them? Even Gozan and Haran and Rasif and the sons of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim and of Hena and Iva? So in the letter, Sennacherib is saying to Hezekiah, Hey guys, all these other kings are destroyed. All their other gods were burned with fire. Who do you think you are, Hezekiah? You're not going to resist me. Okay, so again, he's, he's using this psychological warfare. He's trying these scare tactics, and he wants to get Hezekiah to surrender. Okay, so what's Hezekiah going to do? Is he going to jump to a conclusion? He could say, you know what, guys? That first time we were lucky. But he's back. This guy isn't giving up. He's just going to take, he's going to take us. We need to surrender. Does he say that? No. He humbles himself again. He doesn't jump to conclusions. Let's see what he does. Verse 14. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Guys, you got to catch this. And I'm going to ask you guys to do this. Whenever you guys get a bad report... Whenever you get any type of crisis situation, any attack, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's sickness. I don't care if your car breaks down. I don't care what it is. You take that letter, literally or figuratively, and you go before God and say, God, look. Look at this. That's what he did. Okay. So Hezekiah is going to the Lord. Verse 15, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Principle number two. Go to the Lord in prayer. The first time Hezekiah didn't pray, at least it's not recorded. The first time Hezekiah called Isaiah and said, Hey, Isaiah, we need help. Please pray. And Isaiah does. This time, Hezekiah is praying for himself. It's getting serious, right? So principle number two, when crisis hits you, you need to pray for yourself. It's okay to call your friends. It's okay to call the pastor and the elders to pray for you. That's a good thing to do. But you need to go to God and spread out that letter and start praying yourself. Principle number two. This prayer is a model prayer on how to pray in a crisis. I want you guys, I've already been doing it this week. I've been blown away. I've been using this prayer this week. And after my, after my uh, defeat that one time, um, I got the victory. I, I'm, I mean, I've got the victory. Because every day a little crisis would hit me. And I would, I would stop myself and say, nope. 
I'm not jumping to any conclusions. I'm not doing that. God, your will be done in this situation. I bless this person. I bless this situation. Lord, I'm going to look to you and the good that you're going to do in this situation. And I got the victory. Because I applied what Hezekiah did here. So you guys are going to apply what Hezekiah does here. Check this out. Verse 15. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heavens and the earth. What's he really saying? He's saying, hey God, I know who you are. I know who the king of Assyria claims to be. The king of Assyria claims to be the one who's all-powerful. But we know that's not true, God. You are God of all the kingdoms of the earth, and you're my God. So Hezekiah, if you want a prayer principle right here, he begins to confess truth into his situation. So no matter what your situation is, you need to confess God's truth into the situation and not believe any evil reports, any lies, or anything like that. Verse 16. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Verse 17. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed him. Prayer principle number two is tell God, be honest with God. Hezekiah didn't go into denial that he's about to get, that there was a real uh, world power right outside his front door, right? He said, hey God, it's true. This guy's destroyed everybody and he's taken their gods and he's burned them in the fire. So if something happens to you, it's okay to say, hey God, my car broke down. This is what happened. God, I have, I'm sick, Lord. I mean, this... There's this tumor in my body, God. It's really there and it's hurting and it's causing me pain. You don't need to go in denial and say, I'm healed. No, you're not healed. You have a tumor in your body eating you away. Okay? That's what you have. How can God heal you if you're healed? In order for God to heal you, He needs to heal you of something, right? In order for God to get victory and glory and credit, He needs to overcome in your situation through your faith. So Hezekiah said, hey God, there's a big army that's about to wipe us out. I need your help. So prayer principle is be honest with God. Tell Him what's going on. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Verse 19. Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from this hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You alone, O Lord our God. Last prayer principle is His petition. Hey God, we need help. We need deliverance. But deliverance for what reason? so that all the earth knows that you are God, not this blasphemer Sennacherib out there threatening you, but the world will know that you are God, O God, and you get the glory. Isn't that awesome? Prayer. Isn't this a great prayer from Hezekiah? I mean, this is, I just find this incredible. Again, you can use this. You would not believe over the years how many people I've talked to John, I mean, I got these divorce papers and she wants to leave me. He wants to leave me. I mean, I, and they show me the divorce papers. I'm like, wow. And then someone else says, yeah, John, I've got cancer or John, Alzheimer's or my wife left me or my kids or my this or my that. And it's like, what do you tell people? I mean, these are tragic 
this is a crisis that they're in. You know, what do you tell people? I tell people this. I say, look, I, I can't help you, but I can point you to the one who can help you. Now, if you pray the way Hezekiah prayed to God, you know, God will help you through this situation, and I'll stand with you. You spread those divorce papers out before God. Hezekiah took the papers. Literally, if you got something, a crisis, if you're losing your job or you're, you have a reprimand note from work or you have a something, if you literally have it, you literally you spread it out on a desk on a bed and you say, God, look, it's true, God. I wasn't very good. I messed up on my job. I came in late too many times, Lord. I have a problem. I've already confessed it to you, Lord. Please help me do what I'm supposed to do. But God, I believe you want me to be at this company. And so God, I'm appealing to you. Look, God, they, they can fire me, Lord, and they have fired other people. But God, you said, I believe God, you planted me in this company. You want me to grow there. You're working all things together for good to those who love you and have been called according to your good purpose, Lord. You see how you start to confess truth into the situation? And say, God, would you please give me another chance to work at this company for your glory, God. And I, God, I'm, I'm going to get my act together. You see how you, I mean, any situation, you can use it. This prayer. The results are more than incredible. I shared this with a guy one time. His marriage was all a mess. I mean, he came to me and he, it was just terrible. I said, man, you need to go before God and tell him what's going on and take this to him. I said, you need to get out of your house, leave your phone and go. And that's what he did. He took off into the mountains. He came back, man, he was so excited. God had just ministered to him. He had witnessed while he was in the mountains. Somebody guy was hiking on a trail. He had shared his faith in Christ. I don't know if he led him to the Lord. I can't remember, but... Um, he was just encouraged because he had taken, he had spread it out before the Lord and said, God, look. And then he had confessed in what God said into his situation. So what happens if you do this? What happened to Hezekiah? Let's keep going. So once again, God raises up Isaiah. Good old faithful Isaiah. Isn't that great? So Isaiah sends word to Hezekiah with the response, God's response. Verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, by the same way he will return. He shall not come to this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servants David's sake. That's pretty intense. That's a pretty fast response, isn't it? That's awesome. It's not done. Let's keep reading. Verse 35. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. It's incredible. But it's not done yet. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home, and he lived at Nineveh. But we're not done yet. It came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramelech and Sherezer killed him with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, became king in his place. Do you see what God will do when someone will humble themselves, not jump to a conclusion, 
take their situation before God and say, oh God, look at what's going on in my life. God, you are powerful. You're my God. I'm in covenant relationship with you. You're good. Everything you does is for your glory. Everything you do is for my good because you promised that to me. Lord, I'm going to confess who you are and what you're going to do in this situation, Lord, and then I'm going to wait and see what you do. That's Hezekiah's prayer. And then they're great. I guarantee you today, now I'm not, I'm not speaking anything negative on you because the scripture tells us this. Don't we have a testing of our faith produces perseverance, right? So as soon as we walk out of these doors, what's going to happen? The testing of our faith, right? So when crisis, when things don't go your way and you're tempted to get upset, you know why you got upset? Because you jumped to the conclusion that it was going to go bad and not work out. Isn't that something? I mean, God, it's just all week long. It, I've, I've been wanting to get upset in this situation, this situation, this situation. And then I would start to, and I'd say, no, no, the message, I've got to do this message. I'm going to live this message. I'm going to do this. And I'd stop right there. I, I refused to jump to conclusions. And I'd, I'd just take it right to God and let him do his work. And the the results are absolutely incredible. I mean, you saw, you heard Andrea's testimony, right? You saw Hezekiah's testimony. I've shared in general some things of how my week is, things have just gone great because I chose to do what Hezekiah did. So I want you guys, I encourage you to do, to reread 2 Kings 18 and 19. Meditate it, get it in your system and do it. And you will be blessed. You will be joyful. You will be victorious. Oh, it's so good. God is so good. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Hezekiah's godly example to us. And Lord, just as you helped me and showed me, uh, your ways are not my ways. And I'm so thankful for that, Lord. Um, I just pray your blessing would be upon uh, everyone in this congregation, I pray that there would be just great victory in this congregation as the days and weeks and months go forth, uh, that we would indeed walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we would humble ourselves. We would seek you, God. We would submit things to you. We would confess your truth, Lord, and have faith for what you're going to do in our lives and that you'll get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.